I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at JakeJack with two N's, and I write for EPL Index, among various other sites. Hello, I'm John McKenzie. I am at John underscore McKenzie on Twitter, and I do a lot of stuff over at the fan channel at All Stats, aren't we? All right, an absolute pleasure having you both on. This is the first uh, full episode of the 2020-2021 season. A nice back-to-back for John, who was, of course, our first segment of 2020-2021. So welcome back. And then, of course, Jake, a pleasure having you on for this new season as well. I figure we'll start off chronologically with what happened yesterday, which was, of course, Arsenal beating Liverpool to win the 2020-2021 Community Shield. How many times can I say 2020-2021? Apparently a lot. Um, Do you think that their success uh, yesterday winning that on penalties, and if you also want to tie in the FA Cup, that that those recent trophy lifts, although you can put an asterisk, I suppose, on the Community Shield, depending on what clubs you support, uh, can be built upon by Arsenal this season, or do you think they're more the fruits of the labor that were put in last season after Arteta joined the club? Yeah, I think... I mean, for me, I think that the Community Shield, although it's not the, it's not really a big trophy, it's, you know, those types of competitions are respected more abroad. But, um, you know, it's a football match and they've won it against the Premier League champions, um, albeit on penalties. But still, you know, in the last, probably the last couple of months now, they've beaten Manchester City at Wembley, they've beaten Chelsea, they've beaten Liverpool now. So, I mean, that, that's not going to do them any harm. Um, I'm not sure if I thought their performance on the whole, was incredible and, and something to get excited about. But they've won three big games, so it's, it's not bad. Um, I think that it does show there's sort of a progression being made under Arteta, maybe more so in the mentality than than anything else. Um, they do seem to go into these games with a bit more belief than they did under Emery and sort of latterly under Wenger. Uh, they, they do seem to have a bit more of a game plan. Um, and they're getting the best out of Aubameyang in these big games. And I, I, I'm, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm sure there was a period where he wasn't scoring as many in the big matches and he was sort of going missing a little bit. So he's doing really well in them now. So they've got uh, a platform to build on. They've got new players coming in. Um, uh, they're meant to be getting, is it the the Lille centre-half, Gabriel? So, mm-hmm. and, and they've got Saliba as well, who's, who's come in now after his loan spell. So they're sort of building slowly under... Under Arteta, there's there's big problems there. Of, of course, the off, off the field stuff that we we um, often see Dan tweet about, who, who comes on this show, he's not happy about the board and, and the way they do their recruitment. Sometimes relying heavily on the uh, Kia Jurabchi, and um, so it, it's not perfect. But I think that Arteta is doing some good stuff on the pitch. I think that that they are looking more like a top team. They're showing a little bit more belief, and they're showing a little bit more tactical awareness and just game management thing. 
and, and that can only be a positive for Arsenal. I'm, I'm not sure if I think they're going to go and compete for the Premier League, but I think they'll, they'll show progress this season. I can see them being a, a tough team to beat, um, especially in those big matches where they, they sort of come up short in the, in the last few seasons. I'm going to give maybe a different take on, on Arsenal. I've been looking through since I saw the, the running order just to try and determine whether whether or not I think Arsenal are good now because it seems to be the general um, consensus. Mm. And just looking a lot of the underlying statistics, it seems as though um, Emery wasn't, obviously wasn't pulling up chunks in, in making them into a good side. But if you look at a lot of what Arteta's done, and it seems as though a lot of people seem to fascinate on his um, defensive performances, but in, uh, as far as I could tell, at least in terms of expected goals, which I know are, um, you know, you take those with a pinch of salt, there, there's more to life than expected goals, as, as if you look at the top of the table, Liverpool and Manchester City fans will know. But in terms of expected goals against, Arsenal were running pretty much exactly the same under Arteta as they were under Emery, um, but they were massively overperforming under Arteta rather than Emery. So I think they... Um, they uh, overperform their expected goals by about eight defensively, which is which is quite big considering that I, I think that sort of run of games under um, Arteta in the in the Premier League was only about 15. Um, so considering that you're you're you're, you're uh, conceding maybe one fewer goals almost every game, um, that's not going that's a run that's probably unlikely to continue. And so I think it depends very much on on what happens to them in the in the course of the um, transfer window. Um, at the at present, they haven't done a huge amount, uh, as far as I, I, I'm aware. They've they brought in William Saliba and um, William, um, and obviously Pablo Mauri is, is, is has been uh, bumped up to a full um, uh, full player for Arsenal, but obviously had um, uh, knee issues as well, um, and and Cedric Suarez as well from Southampton. I don't think that really. Um, screams to me that they're going to be doing anything that different from what they did last season. Um, obviously, the continuity, I think, is is important. Uh, but I do think that people are expecting Arsenal to be challenging for top four places, and I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, I think maybe the season after, if Arteta can stay and, and, and does turn things around. Uh, but I do think that people are maybe running a little bit too hot on Arsenal at the moment, simply because um, they have been overperforming defensively and um, because they have pulled off those results in big games, um, as, as we said. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and I myself was thinking, like, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> are Arsenal going to be a really big threat this year, obviously, winning the back-to-back big matches? But that's kind of what they've done lately with winning basically every FA Cup in recent memory, um, is they do show up for the big matches. It's it's what do they do against the, the smaller sides? Like, um, I think it was Brighton two years ago that they... Uh, drew or lost against, which is, is what caused them to miss out on Champions League and put Tottenham into those places. Um, so I think that that's probably more where the concern lies, is, is where's the consistency from them. Um, and, and as we all know, if you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, you're going to wind up close to the top four. Uh, and so, yes, they, they've thoroughly shown that they can beat uh, bigger sides and bigger matches. I, I think now it's more of a question of, will they consistently beat everybody else, uh, maybe outside the top ten? Uh, and that general area, and and John, I totally agree on on some of those XG things. I know uh, Dave, who we just did our full 2019-20 uh, season review with, um, was talking about a lot of the underlying numbers don't actually look that different under Arteta than Emery, mm. um, but obviously a, a short sample size since he took over. So uh, time will continue to tell in that regard. Jake, it seemed like you were the more optimistic. Do, do you think they have a shot at top four, or is it more like they'll reestablish themselves as top six, and then as John's saying, maybe if he stays another year, then they kick further up? 
Um, yeah, I, I didn't mean to be that hot on them. I didn't. I don't think they're going to be in the top <laughs> four or anywhere close to it. I just, I just think there have been some sort of signs of improvement, more so in the mentality and and, and in those big matches. Um, which is that, that's the main thing. I've, I'm sort of being impressed with Arteta. They seem to go into these games with a game plan, um, which they haven't before. But I think last year, it, you know, they were down in mid table for most of the season. I just think they're going to be better than that. But I don't think they're going to be close to the top four. I think that they'll probably get back into the top six. Um, mainly because I think Leicester will regress a little bit and Wolves, they seem to be having some some minor issues that we'll come on to uh, a bit later, <laughs> especially at wing back. They've got one injured and they've sold one on. So I just think they'll be able to get back into that top six. But yeah, I don't think they'll come close to, to the top four. Gotcha. And John, if pressed for, for a table finish? Yeah, I think when you're talking about the table, uh, when you're talking about a table finish, you have to think about the other clubs who are going to be challenging higher up. So in terms of top four, um, if we say that City and Liverpool uh, have got the top two spots um, tidied up, um, and then you look at the next three um, places down this season, which was Manchester United, Chelsea and Leicester City, um, the question for me is, that, like, have, have Arsenal done enough to break into that group of three? And, and I don't think that they have. Um, so I think that, for me, Arsenal will be probably in the next group down, which is I've got a down as top six challengers. So um, will they be able to just sort of break into that final European place? Um, so that's how I'm seeing it. Yeah, agreed. I have, I have them in that five to seven range. Not really not really the top four, but uh, I could be accused of bias um, if, <laughs> if required. Uh, we'll kind of go from there, that, that kind of theme, and talk about those big battles in the table come the end of the season and make a few predictions of our own who do you guys envision winning the title and and making the top four in general i've got um i've got manchester city probably top but i think it's obviously very close between city and liverpool um there was a lot of conversation in the off season about about why liverpool looked like they had overperformed their expected goals so much and whether or not the um, the models are actually up to assessing how um, how the chance quality looks. Um, but I think that, you know, City are going to come back strong. City, I think the style of play that they play worked well in, in long periods of time uh, rather than in knockout competitions. And I think that they're going to go for a real effort of, um, of pulling the league out of the bag this season. So, I, I mean, it, it could go either way on that one. So I've I've gone with Manchester City first and then Liverpool second. Yeah, I think I, I'm the same as John there. I, th- I think the Manchester City will, will win the league. Um, I think there's some... It is difficult to retain the league, um, and, it, and I'm, I'm waiting to see what else Liverpool do in in the transfer market. I think they didn't really make a major addition last season, and, and they've yet to do so this summer. Although it is you know, very early in the window still, despite the season fast approaching, but there's only so much you can get out of the same group of players year on year. Uh, and I think after winning the league, there might just be a slight regression. Um, and, and as John pointed out, the expected goals, they did run a little bit hot on that this season. So if that does revert, uh, they, they might drop off a little bit. And I think with City, they're just going to be so hungry for it. Um, and, you know, we've got the a lot more to come from them this summer with, with ongoing uh, speculation about a certain player in Spain. So, it, you know, that, that probably won't happen. But if it did, there's that angle as well. I just think that Guardiola and that City group are too good to go another season, dropping the points that they did um, in in matches this year. Mm. Yeah, I'd probably agree, though. Dave did raise some pretty good questions on that mega show of, of City haven't really strengthened. They've replaced some weaknesses. Obviously, they lose Sané and David Silva 
um, who you assume they're replacing with Ferran Torres, who's a different player, obviously, and then Phil Foden in-house uh, to replace David Silva. Uh, if they get a big-name center back, I think that would really help because I think that's where they were, were really damaged last year is when Laporte went out, and then all of a sudden Fernandinho had to be a center back the entire season. You paired him with John Stones and, and Otamendi, who s- still seems to have really just had that one really good year at City. Uh, I think that that led to them losing many, many points. So if they can get those sorted, if they can get Rodri um, playing at a higher level in midfield, which he's obviously capable of, if they can figure out if it's worth keeping Cancelo or maybe turning him into more money or selling him elsewhere, or uh, signing Messi, any of those, I think would uh, really help them uh, in terms of pushing for that title. But I do agree. I think Liverpool will regress uh, to an extent. John, you mentioned that you were kind of thinking of them in batches. I assume the next one for those kind of back four is probably some combination of United and Chelsea, who obviously finished there last year, Leicester, and then maybe an aspiring Tottenham with some pretty good signings lately. <laughs> I I didn't put Tottenham in that group um, simply because I'm sorry. I'm, I'm quite negative on, on Jose Mourinho. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think that that top four challenge is, I, th- I think... It's hard to really assess for me because there's this I, I put a lot of um, stead in continuity and um, obviously United are going to have continuity with their manager as are Chelsea as are Leicester. Um, Leicester last Leicester squad last season was found to be not deep enough. I think that's why they ended up dropping out of the top four in the end, um, which is obviously um, a shame for them. And, and it, it shows you just sort of how far. Um, financial clout can get you in the league. Chelsea have obviously brought a huge amount of players in, and Manchester United have two of the most uh, creative passers in the in the league in their midfield, and then some of the quickest and sh- sharpest uh, forwards forward lineup as well. So, it, it, I found it quite t- tough sort of deciding whether or not you know someone like Arsenal or Spurs could could really break into that group. Maybe they could. Um, Everton are, are making a huge. Um, inroad in terms of uh, big signings in the in in the transfer windows wolves have been have been good but again i think they probably have squad depth issues and it seemed as though they struggled a little bit with the extra um european uh, places that they and, and schedule that they had to pick up um so it's it's very much of a muchness for me but um, i do think that these th- these two clubs in particular city uh, sorry united and chelsea um they do just have the the better players and at the moment um, given that there isn't a huge amount of tactical acumen in this, in these two groups, the top four challenges, I've called them the top six challenge. I think, um, I think that means that this, uh, United and Chelsea will probably be okay. And then we, it, we, it remains to be seen if Brendan Rodgers can get the same out of Leicester City again. Yeah, it's difficult to pick up the next couple of places. I think that Manchester United, their form following the lockdown, um, and, and I guess just following Bruno, Bruno Fernandes, it, was just so good that it's difficult to see them not finishing there. Um, there's there's small squad depth issues there as well, and it, it just seems that Solskjaer seems so unwilling to use the squad at all. Um, that that maybe if you know the games are going to come thick and fast this season, they're going to squeeze in more games than they normally do, and it might just be that fatigue comes in. We saw that at the back end of last season, definitely saw it in the Europa League for them, um, and I think they just need to either bring in a couple more players or. He just needs to trust those um, under the first team a little bit more. Um, so that, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch with them. I think with Chelsea, they're making a lot of eye-catching signings, but I feel like they're doing a little bit too much. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought they were quite good last season. Um, I thought the young players were doing quite well. I thought that they were performing pretty well in, in most stuff that you look at. Um, they, they was, I think their defensive 
um, vulnerabilities are a little bit overstated. I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to blame it on Kepa, but he had, if, if you compare him to most other Premier League goalkeepers, he was very under par and he was a major reason for that. Um, and I just think that I, I thought they were good and, and two or three additions would have done them nicely. And they just, you know, instead of getting a new engine for the car, they've gone out and bought a whole new car, which seems <laughs> a little bit over the top. But as is the way with Roman Abramovich, sometimes that's what he, he does. And he throws his weight around and he seems to have, have targeted this COVID-affected market as, as something that his club can benefit from. And each individual signing seems a good one, but all of them going into the team at once. Um, I just wonder how Lampard's going to manage it. It's going to be interesting. I, I think they should finish in the top four, but I don't think it, it's going to go as cleanly as, as you know the, their supporters will be hoping it will. I think Tottenham are going to be better this season. I think that although Hoiberg and uh, Doherty are not the most um, eye-catching signings themselves, I think fix problem or they improve problem areas for Tottenham. I'm not sure if we can say either one of them are, are top four footballers yet, but at least they improve areas where Tottenham were weak. So you can see there is some thought uh, some thought going into the, the transfer business at Tottenham. Um, and I thought they were quite, they were okay after lockdown. I think away from home, he said some very negatively, but I th- since he came in, I think results-wise, you, you would have finished in the top four if, if the table yeah. started after he after he came in. So, I think they're they're going to be improved, and I think that you will challenge for for the top four places, even if you don't get into them. But uh, I'd lean slightly towards Man City, uh, Manchester United, and uh, Chelsea. Um, and I think with Wolves, that they're, they're going to struggle. You know, they've they've lost their right right back. Johnny's going to be out for a few months remains to be seen if they're going to strengthen so I think they'll still be up there they've got so many good individuals but yeah as John mentioned the squad is a little bit thin and and with Leicester I'm just I'm not certain that Brendan Rodgers can 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 improve things he sort of has this period at every club he's been at he has a good sort of 18 to 24 months and it sort of dropped off a bit and we saw that in the in the second half of last season I think that I I need to see some improvement from them before thinking they can get back into the top six next year. So I think it, it will be the same as this year with the top four, but I think Tottenham are the, the ones that could potentially get into it if they avoid a Mourinho meltdown, which is easier <laughs> said than done. Well, thank you, Jake. A little bit less, John, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I largely agree. I think maybe Chelsea have the widest range of possibilities where, like we talked about, Liverpool um, probably regressing a bit. There are some issues at City, and I think everybody's assuming that City would be the ones that leapfrog them. But if if all of Chelsea's signings clicked, and if they get Kai Havertz, which I've decided they aren't because I don't want them to, um, then there's a chance that they, they take a massive jump, although typically you'd expect that many signings to have to bet in, kind of to your point. Um, but it, it just seems really strange that there's such a clear gap of the top two to everybody else. Cause if the top two are both kind of stagnant or dip a little bit, that's when you'd expect somebody to kind of leapfrog potentially the two of them, but maybe nobody in this group really inspires that. I don't know if Lampard is there yet as a manager. Solskjaer, I think you can ask similar questions. Mourinho is inarguably the best, uh, manager in the division. Uh, and I have to say that, uh, currently, uh, my opinion before and after his time at Tottenham might change. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't really seem like anybody's poised to jump above this group. I agree with almost everything you guys are saying. I do think Leicester are a young squad that learned a lot last season, but 
will they be able to maintain it? Obviously, losing Chilwell at left back is going to be uh, a position they need to replace. I'm so, I'm shocked that nobody's meaningfully in for Ndidi yet. Can Vardy repeat again? Again? I mean, we've been asking four or five years if Vardy was going to start to lose form, and the answer has largely been no. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really see it from Leicester or Wolves this season, which I do think. Uh, to, to what Jake was saying, means Tottenham number the one with the chance of swinging up. But I think it's hard to argue with the current top four being the top four next season unless we see pretty seismic shifts um, from other sides, including a, an improving Tottenham and, and in case Leicester and Wolves are going the other direction. Um, so that kind of takes us from the whole title to, to top six. Uh, now we'll switch to the other end of the table. Uh, obviously, the three sides that have come up, West Brom and Leeds and Fulham, uh, then some teams that kind of struggled down the stretch last season. We saw, you know, Crystal Palace <laughs> not win any of their last eight or nine matches, if memory serves. Uh, I think West Ham were down there as well. Uh, any other any other clubs that you think might be in that that conversation, and, and who do you think might wind up actually getting relegated? I mean, I'm going to throw Newcastle straight in there before somebody else does because they need <laughs> to be in the they need to be in the conversation because we we have had. Last season we got very lucky, uh, especially in the first until up to about February. Until I guess the, the lockdown happened, I thought we were very lucky to have the points we did. If you look at any sort of expected goals or expected points table, Newcastle are rooted to the bottom or 19th. It's not great. Um, and watching it, I can I can say we were lucky to get a lot of those points. But I think post lockdown there was a slight improvement. Um, he moved to a four, um, four at the back and it, it improved slightly. We were creating a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more open, but we were open anyway. Even if we were keeping a few clean sheets, we were lucky to do so. Um, so it's difficult. I, I, I think we should be down there again. There's been, I mean, there's not a lot happening this summer to improve things. Um, Andy Cowell's the only fit centre forward to start the season, which, you know, how long is that going to last for? Probably not long. So I, I think Newcastle is probably our time to go down again. You know, I think before the first relegation under Ashley, I was a little. That was a, a surprise. The second one, it, it was disappointing, um, but you could see it coming. And then this one is—it's so obvious. It—it it should have happened last season, really, and it's going to happen again at some point. So it's probably going to be this year. So I think we're going to be one of the ones to go down. You know, most supporters start the season optimistic. I'm not going to be one of those. I think we'll be one of those to go down. And I think—I mean, it's easy to put another two relegated club, uh, promoted clubs into it. But I think West Brom and Fulham, um, at the moment, as things stand, I'd I'd see both of those going back down as well. I think it's it's tough to make that jump up. Um, and I think last season we lost a couple of teams that were treading water in Bournemouth and Watford. There's a there's a couple more that remain. Newcastle being one of them. I think West Ham uh, another. But um, yeah, I think that Fulham um, they would have learned a lot. I think they're gonna they're gonna put up more of a fight than they did last time. But there's still a few doubts about Scott Parker. And I think with West Brom, they finished the season quite poorly. And I think that Bilic at Premier League level showed himself to sort of be lacking the the, the defensive setup. They were always quite open, West Ham, and conceding a lot of chances. And I think that that trend might continue. So I think that they're the three for me to go down. And it seemed very sad to be tipping my own team, but that's where we're at. <laughs> I, um, I, I also think that West Brom and Fulham are nailed on to go down um i i know that there's a level of hubris of me saying that as a leeds fan 
Um, but we all saw what West Brom did at the end of the season. Um, and Fulham, I think, under Scott Parker, have been nothing short of stodgy um, the whole season and were a little lucky to get past uh, Brentford in the playoff finals for me. So I've got those two down as the as the two who are nailed on. And then I guess it's a question of like the final place. Uh, and I've got the same sort of teams that have been mentioned. Um, West Ham, Newcastle, uh, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace. It'll be one of those, one of those four, I think. Um, I, I know I said to you, um, Kev, on the on the Leeds preview that mm. the Leeds have to be aware that they're in that sort of conversation. But we've 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 made a couple of decent moves in the last few days, and given that our manager is is quite strong, and the and the squad, I think, will probably. Um, pull well under him. I think that we'll, we'll 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 be around there, but I don't think we'll ever really get pulled into a relegation challenge at this point. So, um, yeah, that's that's what that's the way I'm looking at it. West Brom and Fulham, and then one of those other fours. Gotcha. Well, that's that's a lot of harsh words towards uh, Fulham and and Jake. You should know that uh, Russ was saying he's looking forward to coming on with you uh, to rebuke some of your uh, Fulham hatred. Um, but uh, yeah, I I don't know the, the, that that relegation zone is going to be so interesting this season. I'm I'm not super confident putting uh, anyone just down, so we'll stick with the, your guys' opinions and, and uh, John. Obviously, your knowledge of the championship and and Jake, you literally host a show about the championship. I'll I'll see to your guys' uh, opinions on some of those other uh, promoted sides. Uh, I think we'll wrap up uh, news and notes with some of the uh, clubs that you think have had the best transfer windows thus far. Obviously, some have been far more active than others and there's still quite some time until the window closes i think it's the fifth and then all the way to the 12th for for loans down to the championship so we've still got a while to go but at this stage who do you guys think has had the best transfer window thus far yeah i think i mentioned earlier about chelsea i think that they've had the most eye-catching and it could turn out to be the best um i think that Vern is a very good signing i think that if they get Havertz, that's obviously a very good signing i think um Chilwell, um they might have been slightly better options on the continent but I think that he's a, a very good signing that's gonna be their left back for years to come but um I just think they've done a lot and, and and that makes me feel slightly uneasy to say they've had the best they've definitely had the most eye-catching but I'm reluctant to say they've had the best um I think that um um Leeds have had quite a good window so far um I, I find a couple of decent players and Slightly disappointing not to get them white, but they, they seem to have uh, have got a centre back in. So I think they've had quite a good window, but I'll, I'll let John talk about that as he, he'll know more about those players and that lead squad. But I think they've had quite a good window so far. And I think Fulham are, are doing some okay things. Um, that I think that they've learned a lot from from the last time they were in the Premier League. I think Anthony Robertson's a very, uh, Robinson's a very good signing. Um, and I think that, that they are showing the like um, I think they got Lamina today as well, and Harrison Reed on a permanent, who was so key to them down the stretch. So I think that they've had quite a good window as well. Um, I think there's so much to be done, but if I had to, to pick a team, um, I think the three I've mentioned have had quite good windows. Um, but I think Tottenham have, have had the best so far, which is which is weird to say. I just think that they've targeted two weak positions and brought in better players. So if if that is what a good window is, then I, I think. For me, I think Tottenham have had quite a good one um, that they have improved two parts of their starting eleven. The third place goalkeeper, really important position <laughs> for them, right? <laughs> uh, I I agree with Jake on on much of what you said. I think um, it's it's not clear that Chelsea having the most eye catching 
um, window necessarily means it's going to translate into into um, anything on the field. Um, we all know what Chelsea's problems are. Chelsea struggle in defensive transition, and I'm not convinced that bringing in a 36-year-old Thiago Silva is going to necessarily ameliorate all those problems. Yeah, they brought in some fun players. They brought in Timo Werner, um, Hakim Ziyech. Um, but yeah, defensively, defensively, I'm, I'm just not as, as high on, on players like Silva and a really old Silva. Ben Chilwell has always been a bit of a mystery to me. Malang Sarr, I think, is just a player who's there and available and cheap. So they've brought him in. I think it's going to be a big question um, how, one, how Lampard fits in all of the attacking players in his squad and uh, two, how he deals with those um, defensive transitions. Fulham, I agree totally with, with what Jake said. Anthony Robinson is a player I've been high on for years. Uh, ever since I saw him terrorise us in in that infamous game that we played at the end of last season, where um, we we ended up losing and um, lost our chance to get into the Premier League off the back of it last season. Um, and uh, yeah, Harrison Reed, uh, a great player, um, and Mario Lamina as well, a player who I like quite a lot. They're they're doing smart signings, as I've said. The only reason I'm down on Fulham really is because of Scott Parker, but they are certainly doing um, better things in the transfer window this time around than they did last time around. Leeds have have had a very very good um, transfer window from where I'm sitting, and um, we, we mentioned Rodrigo de Paul as well. I think maybe before we came on um, as as maybe the final piece in the puzzle for Marcelo Bielsa. Um, but we've just done some smart things. We've we've topped up a few players here and there who we had um, options to buy on. Um, we've brought in quite a few youngsters because we've just gone to category one um, status in terms of our academy. So we've brought in a few youngsters um, who are um, hopefully going to be able to bolster us there. So we brought in Sam Greenwood from Arsenal and Joe Gellhart from Wigan who are currently i think the england under 18 strikers so some nice stuff there um the rodrigo transfer is a, is an exciting one i don't know whether or not i think it's a good transfer in many respects given that he's 29 had, has had 10 injuries in the last two seasons um and is is sort of um coming towards the end of his career obviously uh but but um robin koch from from freiburg um i think is is, is a good move certainly a lot cheaper than ben white who it would have been nice to see in the premier league but um, you know, we can't all have everything that we want all the time. So if Leeds get Rodrigo de Paul, um, if there's talk that we might get another stri uh, a defender on on loan, maybe Axel Twanzebe from Manchester United. And then there's, there's well, we were we were in deep in negotiations with Rangers over Ryan Kent as well. I think we'll probably need another wide option. Um, but other than that, I think if we can if we can bring in any of those three, I think we're looking at a pretty decent um, um, window for us. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, I mean, I guess Spurs have brought in, as 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 Jake says, they have brought in players that they needed to bring in. Um, I, I suppose there's risk attached with both of the players that he was talking about, Matt Doherty and um, um, Pierre. Uh, I, I can never get it right. Pierre Emil Hoybier. Emil, it's Emil, yeah, Hoybier. Cool. Um, yeah, I think they I don't think they're the most exciting players they could have brought in, but I think that they're they're solid transfers, and I think. You know, I think there's there's a level of risk attached with them because Hoiberg has never really kicked on as much as people would hope he would, and I think Doherty is getting a little bit old now. But as as Jake said, um, that they're. they're um they're certainly thinking about how to make their squad stronger. And I think in recent seasons, certainly Spurs haven't tended to do that. Um, they've just tended to bring in millions and millions of wide players. Um, 
So I'm not sure if I'd say that 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 Spurs have had the best window, but I think they're certainly up there. And and yeah, of those the teams that I've mentioned, probably the the four best teams in that regard. So I'm not going to plump on anyone if that's okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, w- I would mention maybe Brighton. Brighton have brought in some interesting players mm. um, in terms of Joel Beltman, uh, Lars Dendonka as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they've and they've barely spent anything. Um, they've decided to bring in loads of centre backs at a point of time when they were holding on very tightly to Ben White, which is maybe a little bit confusing. But I th- it'll be interesting. And rejecting to see how offers for a dunk. <laughs> like, what, yeah, yeah. How exactly. many do you need? <laughs> yeah. So they are going to be centre back FC this season. So we'll see how that goes. I think go just for full eleven centre backs and just kind of see what happens. Um, also, <laughs> kind of coming across the desk as we record is a lot of Dutch media uh, picking up that um, Manchester United have agreed both personal terms and a fee for Donny van den Beek, uh, just as as we're recording with obviously no uh, heads up of this ahead of time. D- does that put them in this category, or do they still need a lot more to solidify themselves in that in that top four we were talking about earlier? I'm not saying anything nice about Manchester United, so um, <laughs> I'm contractually, contractually obliged to, to do that. But yeah... Look, United have got a, a coach who I don't think a lot of people rate and they have a, a squad that is very lopsided, I think. Um, I don't really see how United can can save themselves from being where they are. Um, so I'm, I, I don't think they're the sort of... I don't think they're the sort of outfit who are going to solve them their their issues with one signing. I think it's going to take some kind of reboot. It's going to take probably a manager who is who who has the sort of uh, ability to 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 go through that kind of process. It's what happened at, at Leeds? Leeds were nowhere for years and years and years until we brought in Marcelo Bielsa, and now obviously things have turned around. And I think Manchester United probably need to go through that kind of uh, moment. And I, I'm not entirely sure um, Van der Beek is going to change that. Yeah, I, I'd agree that even if they were looking for one or two signings to improve things, I don't think that Van der Beek is, is that. I mean, they've already got Ogba and, and Fernandez, and they probably need to find somebody more suit, uh, more changeable with Matic if they were to, to improve that midfield. I'm not sure that Van der Beek is that player. Um, they probably needed to to, to improve uh, at centre back as well. I, I'm not sure Lindelof is the the most reliable centre back. Um, so yeah, it's it's not the most um, pressing position for them to improve. I mean, I mean, it'll be a good signing it, as any individual signing can be, but I don't think it's going to improve them or or make them worse. It will just sort of, it will just happen, I guess. Yeah, pretty pretty damning condemnations there of uh, of Van de Beek, who I, I do think is a good signing. And if you think that Bruno Fernandez is really more of an eight than a ten. Maybe that's the thought there, but I don't think you can play all three of them together, which I guess is kind of where you you were driving there, Jake, is who's going to be at the base of that midfield more than do you need somebody to play even more up front? And and the question is, is does this money come out of the money that was meant for Jadon Sancho, who obviously they missed out on? And if so, does does that mean that this is most of their business for the year? So obviously, like I said, a lot of time until the windows close, but I do agree. I don't don't think... uh, Van de Beek is enough to propel them forward, but if it's only for around wow, actually forty-five million euros, and he doesn't really automatically improve them that much. We'll see. We'll give it time. But yes, I, I don't think it puts them in a, in any higher category than they were already, and maybe just gets them a couple extra points uh, over the season. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll start off with you. Uh, unlike John's leads, you have actually had a friendly. Uh, so I was just curious how, how you thought you looked here in uh, the, the very brief preseason that clubs are going to have this year. We've had two friendlies, so Ooh. I mean, there's even more to talk about. I mean, Andy Carroll has scored in both of them. So as soon as that second goal went in uh, uh, yesterday against Barnsley, uh, everybody on my timeline, Newcastle wise, were, were all saying, "Well, that means we're not going to go and buy a striker now because we scored twice in preseason," which is, is sadly, it, it could be true the way Mike actually thinks about football. But um, yeah, I guess it's positive that he's, he's scoring goals. We, I think we beat Crew three 0 and we beat Barnsley two one yesterday. So we're winning games of football can't hurt. But I, I think it's gonna, it's going to be more of the same as last year. Really, I don't think there's going to be there's not been anything in those those matches that. Um, say that we're going to change things about uh, I think we're going to play four at the back and we're going to hope that Almiron and say Maximum can can do things in attack which is it, it's hopeful thinking but it, I mean we, we've won two games that, that's positive and we've had a few younger players come in uh, Dan Barlaser who was on loan at Rotherham last season um, I think he's 22-23 now he's come in he's looked quite good in those games and, and I think he was quite good for Rotherham last season so he could provide an option in the squad I think Jacob Murphy that's quite a good loan at Sheffield Wednesday. He got quite a few goals, especially at the back end of the season. So maybe he can provide a different option, uh, although he didn't do it at Premier League level last time. I think that he, he, he looks like he's got a little bit more confidence about him this time, albeit it was two games against lower league opposition. So maybe he was just playing teams at his level. I don't know. But let's hope he can improve things uh, and offer something a little bit different in the squad because below our first choice attackers, there's very little there. Uh, and we need something uh, in the on the bench to, to come on and do something. Uh, Christian Atsu has been that man for a long time and I don't think he's very good. So let's hope Jacob Murphy can can bring up his championship form and, and can offer something a little bit different. But you know, nothing crazy has happened in these friendlies. It's just been seeing a few of the, the squad players um, and Andy Carroll scoring goals, which hasn't hey. happened for a long time. So let's hope that can happen in, in the actual football. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, sorry, things aren't looking incredible uh, obviously you signed Jeff Hendrick uh, and that's that's your your key signing thus far how would you rate your central midfielders right now and, and do you think that he's in the top two and would be regularly starting or do you think he's behind the likes of Shelby and and either of the long steps oh, that's a bit depressing your your main signing has been Jeff Hendrick is <laughs> excited about that it's, I think he's a solid player and a good signing on a three um but he was playing right mid for Burnley a lot of the time when he was there. So to, to come and play yeah, because their right wingers well. are not allowed to be healthy. Exactly, but he's to, to come in and, and start central midfield. I'm not sure um, if he's that much of an upgrade. I'd still expect us to start the season with um, Isaac Hayden and John Joe Shelby, um, with, with Hayden doing the 
the tackling and sort of the work rate and Shelby providing sort of the progressive passing and, and the creativity from, from midfield. I think they work quite well as a duo. So I'm not sure Hendrick comes in and improves either one of those um, positions. Um, but he, he, he's probably an upgrade on Ben Soled, who who was pretty awful after we took him on loan. So I think he's reliable. You know what you're going to get from him. He's going to work hard. And that sort of fits in with the rest of our squad. We've got a lot of hard-working players. Um, so yeah, it sort of fits into that. And I'm sure he can contribute um, and add something. But I'm not sure he's going to change our season by any stretch. Um, we also got Matty Longstaff on a free, which it's sad to say we signed our own player, but that did happen. So very neat after <laughs> that to, to sign your own player. But he's come back in. Um, so yeah, maybe he'll play a little bit more now. He's actually committed to the club. <laughs> That's kind of like with John and, and Leeds and Harrison, where they had an option to buy, didn't, and then just loaned him back anyway. So uh, really just some some paper shuffling going on. Uh, there, uh, obviously, the the big issue, of course, is Dubrovka picking up an injury. Sounds like he'll miss at least the first month of the season. Uh, is Darlow still there? What what are the options there? And do you think you'll have to dip into the market to to find a replacement? No, I, th- I mean uh, Dubrovka going off, go, going out injured is a pretty big blow. But it's definitely not our biggest problem at the moment. I think uh, Carlo uh, Carl Darlow is still there. I think he's a solid enough keeper. I don't think he's as good as Dubrovka, but he, he's fine. I think he. He'll do a job for the first six or seven games. Um, he'll be he'll be fine. Uh, we did sign Mark Gillespie um, on a free, who come in and be the third choice goalkeeper. And we, we've uh, Freddie Woodman has signed a new contract, albeit he's gone out on loan to Swansea. Um, it might have been a good moment for him to get some Premier League minutes. He was really good for Swansea last season, but it's probably the the better thing that he's gone out on loan and continued his development there. But I don't think we need a goalkeeper. I think we've got four uh, four at the club and. Start Caldarlo uh, can come in and, and and play until Dubravka's back. It is a big blow, but until we sign a striker, it, it, it it's definitely a moot point. Last season, our top scorer was uh, John Joe Shelby with six. Like if your top goal scorer has six goals, you're lucky to stay up. And between the strikers, um, I think Gail got four, Joe Ellington got two, Carroll didn't get any. So you know they. they they equaled the scoring of John Joe Shelby. So that's the position we need to strengthen. Um, we had Bruce saying um, when we got back to preseason that, that Dwight Gale looked in the best shape he'd ever seen him in. He's gone and picked up a three-month injury. So that seemed very prescient at the time that he he, he sort of jinxed Dwight Gale to an extent. But yeah, we, we're down to the bare bones up front and we don't have a, a player that can score goals. We have a £40 million striker that isn't a striker. Um who isn't even at the club at the moment. There's been no comment on where he is. He's not in pre-season training. It's probably COVID-related uh, related, and he's probably self-isolating, but there's been no official comment on that. So, yeah, it's, it's weird with Newcastle at the moment. It's We've got... It just seems like we're, we're sticking plasters on the squad and just hoping we can get through another season while Ashley tries to get a sale. But it's, it's little to get excited about. And, and really, for the next two weeks before the season starts, we really need to try and sign a striker from somewhere. Uh, and if we don't get one, we are we are certain to go down. Well, that sounds dire. Um, good luck. Hopefully you can get in players in those positions to to help you stay up. And who knows, maybe all of a sudden you'll get you'll get goals out of somewhere, including Joel Linton, your 40 million pound signing uh, from last season. Uh, John, we'll come to you now, kind of the opposite thing. We've already touched on some of your transfers uh, in the news and notes section. Uh, which of the players that you signed this week are you, are you most excited about? 
Uh, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, I'm obviously really excited about Rodrigo Moreno being um, being a member of the Leeds squad. Um, he's a he's a baller. He is a very smart footballer. It's been um, a pleasure for me watching a lot of video of him this week. Um, a really, really intelligent reader of space, really, really intelligent mover and um, a forward who is uh, very good on the defensive side of things as well. All of which will recommend him to um, a Bielsa side. So it will be fun seeing him him go on. And as I mentioned, the only thing I worry about is the fact that he has had a number of, uh, of, of injury problems in the last couple of seasons. And it's probably coming towards the end of um, his career, or at least at, to the end of his peak so that will be interesting to see um going out so I, th- I think he's probably the one that i'm most excited about seeing Rod- rodrigo de paul is an incredible player um i can't even believe that we're in the conversation about potentially buying him um and he would make a huge difference in our midfield so i would be i think he would probably be the player that i would be the most excited about were we to get him yeah well that'll certainly uh be interesting to see if you do manage to get rodrigo de paul because you mentioned in our segment that Central midfield is, is somewhere where you need its strength, and uh, he would mm. certainly uh, provide that. Maybe not physical strength, but <laughs> talent, to be sure. Um, also, in that show, we kind of talked about maybe you would be a little bit more quiet in the market, not make loads of signings, which I believe was even the title. Uh, did something change internally? <laughs> it seems as though there is likely to have been some kind of injection of cash from um, the San Francisco 49ers, who own a big stake in, in the club. Um as I mentioned um, to you, I can't remember if that was before we started or, or after, but we, we've certainly um, been using this line that we were going to buy in the cream of the championship and it was going to be a fairly quiet window. That was what was being pushed out to journalists and um, through some of the sources in the club. And allegedly that was being done in order to keep, um, well, allow negotiations to sort of keep um, the money down. Um, they were speaking to Rodrigo for the last month or so, so they've clearly been... Uh, planning these sorts of moves before Robert Robin Koch is, is a player who's been on their radar for a while there was an interview that was done I think I mentioned with Victor Orta the director of football at Leeds who um, was he was all he was speaking to one of the Yorkshire Evening Post guys and just sort of showing off his database and pulled out a random um, pulled up a random uh, player from that database and it happened to be Robin Koch so the, there's been a lot of conversation about whether or not he was actually coming or whether or not it was just a random player in this large thousands of player database, but he's here now. Um, so yeah, I, 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 he, we got him for um, a relatively small 13 million. So um, uh, I, I think that it, it does seem to me that there has been some kind of injection of cash from somewhere, uh, but the, the club are also maintaining that they, they'd always, always said that, you know, 50 to 75 million was what they were sort of aiming at. And so this, all fits in with that. So um, I think if you bring in DePaul, then you're sort of up around that that upper limit. Um, you'll probably be around the 75 million mark. So yeah, it's it's um, certainly wrong-footed me. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm chastened and have learned my lesson, but it's exciting to see all of these players coming in. Yeah, and you mentioned in the uh, who might be in the relegation fight that, that maybe you're not thinking yourselves as much in that conversation with some of these signings, which certainly makes sense. Uh, as we kind of alluded to talking to Jake, um, no preseason friendlies, as far as we're aware, for Leeds. Just curious how you feel about that and, and what a preseason looks like without those friendlies. Yeah, I, I really don't know the logic behind it, to be honest. I've, I have heard on the great grapevine that we may be having a, a friendly tomorrow. Uh, on the bank holiday as a sort of <laughs> here's our kit we've launched it now we're going to do a, a sort of opening match with with everyone wearing it um but 
um, there was there was scheduled to be a friendly, I think, on Saturday, but apparently that was pulled because we suddenly just had a load of players getting called up for international duty, and I think Bielsa sort of put his foot down and didn't want um, us to to get any needless injuries. Um, so I think there's a le- there's a sense in which some of the players are going off to international duty has, has sort of forced his hand there. Um, but I suspect we'll maybe get a couple of games in before the the season starts, and I think they're trying to. We had such bad experiences with the. Um, with the celebrations in the wake of the championship win, that I think they're trying to keep wraps on everything so that they'll they'll probably just announce it a little bit before, won't tell people where it's being played, and and then we'll put up a stream on the on the Twitter site or on the on the website, and and they'll go from there. Um, yeah, I do want to, <laughs> I do want us to have some kind of uh, on pitch experience before we go into the Premier League. Um, no doubt, no doubt, the training has been hard work. It always is, um, but you know, there's nothing quite like having um, uh, a competitive ish fixture on eleven uh, eleven uh, versus eleven. So hopefully, there'll be something that s- squeezes in before the the season starts. All right, well, we'll go from there into Player Watch, where today we're going to be talking about who we think is going to be the top scorer at our club for the coming 2020-2021 campaign. Ding, said it again. <laughs> Jake, we'll start off with you in Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, if I didn't make it clear earlier, we really don't have anybody that scores goals. So it's difficult. Is it going to be with Shelby with six again? I mean, I can't see John Shelby getting six again, so it's difficult <laughs> to pick him. Um, out of the players currently out of the club, I would have probably said Dwight Gale, but he's got injured, so it's probably not going to be him now. I'd say Miggy Almiron. I think that it, since he's come, he, he sort of undershot his XGs a little, uh, numbers a little bit. I think that especially um, in his first sort of 12 months at the club, he was so desperate to get his first goal that he sort of snatched at chances. But it improved a little bit after he got that, and he was scoring. Um, he wasn't scoring a lot of goals, but he was scoring regularly. He, he would score once every four or five games. So I think if he maintains that trend and maybe slightly improves it, he, he'd be moved into the number 10 role, which I think suits him more. He gets closer um, to goal and he he does sort of, t- he takes up better positions than, than many of our strikers do. So I think that he's probably the one that I can see getting somewhere between eight and 10 goals. So that's probably going to be enough to be the top scorer, to be honest. Yeah, I'll go Miggy Almiron. Um, but if we do sign a good striker or at least a striker that, that knows where the goal is um, and can, can sort of position himself in the penalty box, which uh, Joe Ellington doesn't do. If, if we sign somebody like that, um, I think we'll link to Musa Morega from from Porto. Um, I'm not sure that's going to, he's going to be a great signing, but he'd probably be an improvement or, or Ryan Brewster if we can get a loan, um, somebody like him or Mishi, Mishi Batshuayi. Um, Somebody like that, um, we've been linked to all three. So if, if we sign somebody like that, maybe they will. But that seems a long way off at, at, at this point. So I'll, I'll go with Miggy Almiron, knowing that he's going to actually be playing for the club. Seems seems smart. <laughs> John, we'll come to you. Uh, Rodrigo, obviously a really good signing. Three years ago, he scored 16 goals. In the last two, he's scored a combined 16 goals. Does he walk in and still become the favorite up front, though? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We've we've put out quite a bit of stuff over on All Stats, aren't we, this weekend, just trying to determine where he's going to fit in into the team. Um, I think there's a lot of fans who are thinking of Patrick Bamford as, you know, being way too wasteful in front of goal. And so it just makes sense for Rodrigo to just come in and replace him. A couple of things to say about that, one of which is uh, that Rodrigo in, in the last 
uh, six or seven years has been running under his XG more than, than Pat Bamford, which is impressive given that Pat Bamford was about 10 goals under his XG this season. Um, the other thing to say is that um, Moreno, R- R- Rodrigo Moreno has played in a, in a front two for most of his career recently. Um, he's, he's also um, not the, 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 the most um, prolific of goal scorers as well. And it's not entirely sure where he'll fit into the, the lead system because uh, we play a lone striker and that is Pat Bamford, who does a lot of pressing, does a lot of back to goal work. And um, the, the, the whole system sort of revolves around him in, at least in an attacking sense. Um, and Rodrigo is more of a player who likes to get the ball uh, facing goal and, and do creative stuff with it, with players ahead of him. So that's, that's not to say that he won't play as a lone striker but it will be to say that our system will change somewhat and so when talking about which player is going to score the most it's there's a lot of uh, variables riding on that and so I guess if if push comes to shove I think I think it depends if if Bamford plays regularly and and um, Rodrigo is either used out wide which he he has done quite a lot in his career. He's also he also played as a pretty wide forward in many respects um, last season and uh, we played last season with with Pablo Hernandez, who's one of our most creative players, in a in a sort of weird inside forward position on the right. Um, so he may slot in there in order to fit everyone in. Um, and if he does that, then I would expect Bamford to be the top top scorer. But if Rodrigo plays um, as a forward, then um, I I suspect it will be him. Gotcha. And then for uh, Tottenham, uh, Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> he missed most matches last season, especially after January when he he uh, tore his hamstring. And then I think he still finished with 13 goals and still led us in goals. Son was probably up there because I know Son finished with double-digit goals and assists. But yeah, it's probably that Harold guy, if I had to venture a guess. Uh, we'll finish up here with match previews because we are less than two weeks away now from the full start of the season. Uh, we'll start off with you, Jake. You're going to be traveling to West Ham, how how do you think that match will go? Um, yeah, I mean this is this is the battle of of two very mediocre clubs owned by not the most ambitious people. So it's gonna be interesting to see how this go uh, goes. Um, following the lockdown, we played them at St James's Park, uh, and they were probably the better team. Uh, Mikhail Antonio causes a lot of problems, but I did see he went off injured in in West Ham's friendly, so m- maybe he won't play, which would be good because he was quite good towards the back end of the season. So, yeah, uh, normally games between Newcastle and West Ham, especially lately, that there's normally a lot of goals. Um, I think we we won three two away last year, and it was two all at St James's Park. So I could see something similar to that. Um, I'll go two all draw. I just think that neither team defends very well and. And that'll probably play into that. So yeah, I'll go. I'll go for the tool draw and match what happens in lockdown. All right, and then John, we kind of talked about it on uh, your segment of not not necessarily the first match you want to start with uh, traveling to Anfield. Uh, do you think you'll you'll try to play a little bit more defensively, or just try to counter? Or yeah, I suspect so. I think what we're seeing, at least in the in the transfer window, has been. Leeds sort of looking for more production in wide areas, which suggests that we're going to probably sit on midfield a little bit deeper and then and and then just try and decompress quite quickly in counter-attacking situations and 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 get uh, down the line quickly. So yeah, I think that uh, look against Liverpool. There's a lot there's there's a lot going on obviously in a game like that. Not least because we don't really know what an underdog Leeds is going to look like in in the Premier League. Um, 
So I, I said I don't I don't have any high hopes of us coming away with a with a result. But you know, there's always the chance for for an upset. But I th- I think in the balance of probabilities, this is this is going to be more about us finding out what sort of team Bielsa is going to be putting out in the in the Premier League, and and trying to work out what tactical tweaks there are going to be and what sort of style tweaks there's going to be as well along the way. I know that's very miserable, but um, I expect us to lose. So I'll say let's hope we only lose by two. All right, and just a, a quick question. Obviously, um, Pochettino would never play a player in their debut um, after signing them. Is, is that a thing he learned from Bielsa? Are you expecting to see the likes of Rodrigo and Koch day one, or do you think they'll be bedded in a bit? Yeah, Bielsa has obviously instilled that into Pochettino. I would agree. There's there's lots of um, this is an aside, but lots of interesting stylistic similarities between them in terms of the way they approach things. So, um, I think that's an astute observation. I. I'm not sure. I think it depends very much on how quickly certain players can pick up the the system. I think with Robin Koch, we need him to be playing ASAP because we only have one starting centre-back. Um, that said, I think the system is easy enough to pick up for a centre-back. I don't think there's a huge amount of, of movements and interchanges that, that the midfielders, for example, have to go through in this, and the attacking players um, that they will ha- they'll have to learn. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Robin Koch starting. And with, with Rodrigo, he's such an intelligent mover um, on the ball and off the ball that I suspect that he'll pick up the quick, the system quite quickly. But the, the, the sort of benchmark that's often given by Bielsa is something like eight games in the under 23 threes before they, before they come in. So um, we could be looking at a very long time, but I, I, I think this, in this situation, it's sort of, um, it's a bit of an outlier. And so we'll see them probably sooner rather than later. All right. Well, we will leave things there. Thanks to both of you so much for coming on this first show of the season. If you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at jjackmove2ends, or for EPL Index and various other sites, all of which I plug on my Twitter. So yeah, anything I do, you can find there. And I'm at John underscore McKenzie on Twitter. And most of my lead stuff is going up at All Stats on We, which is a fan channel which focuses on the tactics and stats sides of things so do come over and have a look at what we've going on we've got going on over there i think there might be something that you might enjoy awesome thanks so much uh to both of you for myself you can find me on twitter at Kavaroff. you can find the show at epl roundtable and you can also follow epl index which of course is where all of these shows are posted as well as dave's new show over there the two-footed pod uh, and up there you can find our almost five hours of podcasts for our 2019-20 review slash 2020-2021 preview. Uh, so it's long, but if, if you've got the time, I think it's definitely worth checking out. But thanks again to you guys. It was a pleasure. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.